What is up? This is the Refined by Fire podcast, a Brothers in Battle media production. It is January 2022. It's been over 24 months since an episode of this podcast has released. I am your past and potentially future host, Steven Tyler. What we've got for you today is a little bit off the rails. This is the much-fabled, long-whispered-about and rumored-but-never-confirmed Roof Pervs episode recorded in February 2020 at Firemanship Conference PDX. I actually wasn't able to be present at that conference, so this is without me, but does add our good friend and much more experienced and knowledgeable Fireman Neil Dickey, and it's a really high quality conversation and fun. And if you enjoyed the former Roof Perfs podcast, you're obviously going to love this. The guys bring that energy that comes with the fire conference environment with them, with their normal level of engagement and knowledge and passion on building construction and its implications for our firefighting operations. A quick note before we get into the show, it's been a long time since I've dropped any podcasts and this show just kind of dropped off the face of the earth and I don't know what the future is for it. I've been really humbled and that's a word that is far too often used, Uh, but it has been humbling to hear many people ask what happened to the show, um, share what it meant to them. how much they enjoyed the guests and maybe even the format. So it is something that is, that is on my heart to, to potentially do going forward. Um, and you don't need to hear all the reasons why that may be difficult. <laughs> you know, I don't need to, to list off my to-do list for, for all of you here, but uh, it, it's something that is on the radar and have potentially talked with some friends about maybe helping out talked with some friends about maybe being on the show and we've got some ideas. So I look for that and it may show up or it may not. Uh, Either way, I think myself and the people I work with and everyone listening, we're still going to do our jobs and answer when the bell rings. This is obviously just a sort of a tertiary side project. So with all that said, here is the Riff Pervs Firemanship 2020 conversation slash January 2022 new episode. I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. Hey everyone, we are the Roof Pervs and we are here at Firemanship in Portland uh, for an amazing week of classes and we had some requests to get together and to record a podcast. So the great, this conference is amazing. We have the opportunity to 
um, to meet and talk to so many great uh, men and women firefighters from all over. And it's it's been really cool to hear the feedback and how many people like the roof perv and the stuff that um, the stuff that we've been putting out. And every time that people bring it up, there's always questions that are asked. And so I know that all of us have have had those things. So we thought we'd we'd get together in the hotel room here and be able to chat about some of the stuff that's coming up. Um, so we'll go around just uh, as a refresher, just talk about who we all are. Um, so this is James Johnson from Vancouver. Um, we'll go around. Next up is our handsome guy who's wearing the shortest jean shorts I've ever seen in my life right now. Hey, guys. Okay, yeah. moving on. Moving on. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Robbie Fisher. So tonight we actually have a guest um, and somebody that we love, um, someone who's contributed lots to the site. Um, he is a firefighter in Southern California, works for a, works for a big urban department, and um, it's an organization that does lots of uh, topside vertical vent. And so we were really excited to bring him on to be able to pick his brain a little bit. Also have him help contribute to um, the discussion and kind of get his mindset of it. Plus, we uh, really like hanging out with them, so we get to trap them in the hotel room for a few hours. So, um. Wonderful. Uh, thank you. Neil Dickey. Uh, worked for a major metropolitan fire department in Southern California. Awesome. Thanks for having me. That's easy, right? <laughs> that's, that's perfect. That's awesome. That's uh, So, and then in uh, we have... Our brother, Stephen Tyler, who uh, was unable to make this trip, so he's here in spirit. Um, and, um, yeah, it's too bad he can't be here, but uh, he'll be at the next one. So um, so Robbie's going to lead us off. He's had uh, a lot of the discussions with certain people about different topics, and so we're going to talk about some of that stuff um, that, that's kind of come up throughout the conference. All right, well, uh, first of all, part of the reason why Neil is here is uh, – as a fan, he was giving us a bunch of uh, guff about coming up with another podcast. We've had a lot of requests for more Roof Per podcasts. And so we've got two things that have been requested um, in addition to the podcast. One of them is they wanted, you guys were wanting to talk more about operation, roof operation. So that led really good with us being here at Firemanship with Neil and uh, with his experience. So um, we'll get to that kind of that, that part of it here in a little bit. Um, while at firemanship, I uh, was approached by a brother that said, hey man, I, I really hope you guys do another show and I want you guys to talk about, uh, it's called the inverted truss. And um, this brother's from Spokane, Washington. He showed me a picture of it and um, so I had never seen it before. I, I was able to pull it up online and imagine it's called the, it's called the uh, inverted king truss or inverted queen trust and um, so we looked it up and I had to show it to James because I'd never seen anything but imagine that what you would normally see as a as a standard ridge uh, kind of like a gabled ridge truss just flip it upside down so now it's the roof is actually going to be flat with the uh, triangle at the bottom so I'm going to turn it over to James and let him kind of discuss a little bit and we've got some more information. So one of the big things with this, and if I know we're doing this over just audio, so it's hard to picture, uh, but if everyone can just think of your standard uh, open web steel joist roof that you would find in your type two buildings, like your Costco and your Home Depots, a lot of times what you see is with those open web steel joists, they bear on the top 
um, and then you'll see a diagonal that comes down. And um, so the load bearing capacity is actually right on the top. So just um, to flip it the other way, a lot of times when we think about trusses, if you think of um, say like an arch truss where it's sitting on the bearing wall and it protrudes above the, the line that way. So um, one of the first things we just kind of want to talk about is um, just the name. A lot of people have a misconception and it, it guides us down a path that because the name is inverted, <clears throat> we've heard people speak of it that um, in a normal truss, or a normal horizontal structural member, the top is in compression and the bottom's in tension. It's pulling apart because of the load on the top. And so people, because of the name, have said, well, those loads are actually flipped. So the, the um, tension's in the top and the compression's on the bottom. And um, that's something that's just a misconception. It, it doesn't physically work that way. Um, that, the name just comes from the orientation where the, the peaked or the rounded portion could, could be at the bottom. So that's just something, even the, just the weight of the building, the weight of the roofing systems and the decking, the roofing material, the compression is still on the top and then the tension's on the bottom. So a lot of times when we see this, if it's in, a, in say, a timber truss, a lot of times you see those kind of tied timber trusses where it'll be, um, it'll be uh, material that is bolted together and that bolted connection is what contributes to that uh, tension in the bottom. That's one of the main connection points at either the peak on the bottom on the inverted side that connects it together. So. Um, I know it's kind of it maybe hard to to visualize it just because we're here describing it, but um, it's it's really easy to do a Google search and and take a quick look at it, and then it'll it'll be a little more clear. So where I see these is in older um, type three ordinary construction. So guys need uh, they needed to build something with an open floor plan back in the early 1900s uh, on the East Coast, not the West Coast, because y'all's uh, pre-33 URM would be different, but I would never see these. But know, on the East Coast in Georgia, in particular, uh, think of your small towns, your town squares, that kind of stuff. Uh, you might have something that needs an open span uh, with a heavy load on top of it, no, more than your normal uh, second floor would be able to hold without having some sort of post uh, in the middle of, of the span. And so they'll run a heavy timber that spans wall to wall, front to back, side to side, whatever the span they need, and in order to give that timber extra support, because it's just a natural material, it does have weaknesses, it, it can only hold so much, uh, they'll support that timber with additional tie rods uh, that are anchored on each end, come down to a V below it, and then have a inverted king post that adds the, the upward pressure back onto the middle of the span of that piece of timber. So imagine an, a, a V coming down from each end, meeting at some sort of steel post, and then tying back to tie rods and turnbuckles on the ends of that, that member. And that supports the floor above uh, if you needed it to hold uh, heavier stuff. Sometimes they, uh, I'm trying to remember, it was some sort of uh, repair shop or something for like a tractor dealership, something like that was, was the last one I saw. Um, and they can have multiple posts instead of a single king they might have two queen posts and do the same thing it's still just adding tension across the bottom of that that large member that's under compression to help balance it out so this i'm, I'm curious because I, I got to see the picture. what you guys don't get to see 
is as James was describing this, his hands are in the air and he's drawing it out <laughs> in the air for you guys to see what you cannot see, but we get to see. And um, William actually pulled it up on his phone, which uh, if you haven't, when he posts some of these long posts, he does it all on his phone. So he's quite remarkable with the phone. But so the way that I, the picture that William just showed us is it basically, um, it looked like metal pieces coming down as a V with a single post in the middle and it's pushing that post up, giving support to the well, the top cord of it, the flat portion of it, and that's just the support that, right? So right. it puts that post more like a column almost. Yeah, lifting up mid, mid span. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you could almost call it like a floating column if we look at it like a you know like a mm -hmm. flying raker or yeah. something like that. It's and just it's just an inverted gable with a post holding up the ridgeboard. Mm -hmm. Which so I wonder what would be the purpose of that? I mean, is it just an aesthetic for the interior of the building? It doesn't seem like it would lend itself. It's not terribly aesthetically pleasing. Uh, they don't they don't tend to stick down too far. Uh, yeah. The last one I saw was was a queen post at each end, um, where so the slope was much shorter. Mm -hmm. It was actually a bent. The the tie rod was bent in the shape. It wasn't. It didn't pivot or or have multiple connection points. The tie rod was bent on each end and had turnbuckles at the at the very ends, and was solid all the way through. Otherwise, yeah. and it actually went back up through the ends of this long timber so that its anchor points were on the tops of each end of the piece of timber. So it went all the way through and added tension downward and inward almost the way that you would on an arch, mm -hmm. the way that your bottom cord would add that to keep that, um, um, that outward thrust on an arch, adding some of that same pressure onto just a long straight piece of timber. Now, the uppermost layer, obviously, of the, the roof would still be a flat roof. It would be, be a flat roof. Right. Yes. The building itself would be a flat roof, but this was this was a floor support. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There was a second, was a second mm -hmm. floor above gotcha. this. Okay. And it was, it, was a, um, it was masonry walls that were mm -hmm. uh, three or four brick layers brick thick mm -hmm. uh, other, other than that. So it was a pretty sturdy building. So a couple of things with trusses. Uh, just like any horizontal structural member, if it's a, burger, uh, a, a girder, a beam, a joist, anything like that, the more um, depth that it has, or the taller that it are that it is, that is, it means that it has more load carrying capacity to it. So you, you can run into certain situations where, if we have it bearing at the top of the wall, and it protrudes down into the floor or down into the living space, then obviously you have less headroom. Um, but if you have it sitting on top of the bearing walls and going above that, then it creates more headroom. But there's different things what designers have to take into, uh, into account when they're designing is lots of places have height limitations where you can only build to a certain height. So in order to get the load carrying capacity that that roof system needs and you have to be within a certain height, sometimes you have to carry it below the, the wall system. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So all those things, there's so many little things that it's not maybe just the load carrying capacity or the design of it. It has to do with the aesthetic or the different regional um, things that come. So right now we're passing around a phone that has pictures on it. Um, and when we do upload this to, um, to, uh, to the RoofPerf page, and once we release it, we'll, we'll definitely do a post where we contribute some of these pictures so you guys can visually see it. So hopefully that makes sense. And, and uh, 
So one of the big things uh, when we talk about it, and hopefully we'll get into this with Neil and and some of the topside work is is a lot of times we have a lot of um, hesitation or we're we're always being very aware of of our saw work and and anything with that top cord. But with any truss, um, when you're looking at how important things are, that bottom cord or whatever the structural member is that's in tension at the bottom, that's the part that really plays a huge, huge role in the structural stability of that. So you can you can maybe um, hit a top cord with a saw and and not see any immediate reaction from it. But if you were to do the same thing to the underside, which doesn't really happen when we're doing topside work, um, it could have a way greater effect on that structural stability. So, yeah, the the guy, the brother that I was talking to here at the Firemanship, he had said that he was talking to um, somebody from the city regarding this um, this building. They have a few of the buildings in Spokane, and um, the city building official, whoever it was, said that if there was ever any damage done or if there was fire inside this building where there was exposure to that bottom section, that this would not be a good place to be. I mean, it literally could be catastrophic failure rapidly. Um, along the same lines, like if we wanted to talk about the traditional bowstring that it was, is that if you eliminated that, eliminated that tie rod on the bottom that was the actual bow part of it, or I should say the string part of the bow, you would have an, an immediate catastrophic failure of that truss and it would happen rapidly so but um with that i mean i don't is there any more you guys want to talk about this trust when we move on to we we really do appreciate uh you guys reaching out to us and if you have questions and uh, want us to talk about a topic uh when you get on our page just uh, drop us a question and and for future we'll we'll bring it up as a topic of discussion so um well, today we were in class, and we actually got to listen to a couple guys talking about uh, rooftop uh, operations. Yeah, it was more, sure. yeah, it was really good, and it was more specific to basically talking about: Do you have a plan? And a little bit further into it is like: What do you do? Should you have a? Should you have one of your firefighters go through the roof, be it partially all the way through, or have an emergency on the roof? Maybe a brother goes down, or a brother or sister goes down because of a cardiac issue. So um, it was a great, great discussion. I, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. That's the West Coast offense. Uh, that's one of their big things is what's your operation. And that's Colin Kelly, Mark Harkamo, and, and their guys from mm -hmm. Clark County and, and the West Coast out there. Uh, that leads us into our next discussion about operations. Mm -hmm. A place that actually has a pretty good reputation and has a good plan. Yeah, I mean, and some departments have multiple operations, depending on where you go in the department. And, Correct. But, uh, uh, so tell us about... So, for, I mean, first and foremost, I'm, I'm going to preface this. I'm, I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I have a few years of experience under my belt. Book-wise, they, they impress upon us very, very early on in our careers with this department that your expertise comes from building construction, and that builds upon your knowledge operationally. Uh, if you understand the concepts of lightweight construction versus conventional construction, and as you said, where that could be in the city within, that can be that can be very different in different parts of the city. Some parts are very, very lightweight based. Some parts of the city are incredibly um, heavily, heavily concentration of uh, conventional construction. And if you understand the concepts of how those things are built, that allows you to operationally work safely. I think that's a big distinction between 
uh, some of the, the West Coast versus East Coast mindsets where the West Coast uh, may have homogenous building construction, but generally you have a much larger variety than some departments on the East Coast where everything is the same construction because it is more the same age or their building codes have stayed more the same or held the same standards over the years. And so they don't see multiple different decades and variations in technology and building construction. They can use the same approach to much more of their territory than you can where you're at. If you go to different parts of your city, uh, you have wildly different construction in different areas. So how does that affect operations well, for the West Coast. So basically, if, if the way we look at it is, we're we are expected to be able to identify seven basic basic roof styles in the city of Los Angeles. In the city of Los Angeles, which is the gable, the flat, the hip, an arch truss, a bridge truss, a gate. I'm sorry, a lamella and a sawtooth roof. Those are the seven basic styles that you'll find. Those could be either lightweight or conventional, depending on where you are in the city. And each one of those roofs has specific strengths and weaknesses. So each one of those roofs, you'll take apart and break down a, a flat roof. You will stick to the low-bearing walls, and you'll stick to the rafters and the ridge boards. How do you break it down? When you say break it down, tell everybody listening, how do you break down what that roof is made of? How do you figure that out? Well, first and foremost, you're going to look at uh, the general age of the building. And that could be, you know, geographic where it is in the city. Uh, that could be, um, so if you want to go even further into it, we can go time and age of the building, which would be, say, for instance, pre-33s. Pre-33 buildings have very distinct um, characteristics. So you're going to look for King's Rose. You're going to look for unreinforced masonry. You're going to look for raptor tie plates. You're going to look for um, inset windows, lintels, all these different things will basically make you be able to pick apart that building immediately say that's a pre-33, that's going to be a conventional construction, conventional constructed building versus something that's now like a strip mall that's in the northern part of the city, which is a newer part of the city, not as old as the downtown and the eastern parts of the city. And you can almost assume right off the bat that's going to be a lightweight constructed building or lightweight constructed roof system. How do you confirm that suspicion yep. in, in either of those? So it's a combination of things. You're, it's a combination of sounding and it's mostly diagnostics. You're going to get up on the roof and we will go ahead and drop a diagnostic cut, which is the biggest one would be a 45 degree inspection cut. It's going to tell you five basic things. It's going to tell you, first and foremost, the layers of comp, layers of decking, what kind of decking, rafter type, rafter direction, conditions directly below that hole, and then lastly, um, what, what kind of smoke conditions we have there. Neil, can you just describe cutting that diagnostic cut? Like you said, yeah. 45 degree, but there's like a couple different, yeah, what's the a, location, what's the size, where, what's your thought process behind so that? So our books basically say it's, it's a pretty simple, you'll stand at a load bearing wall, you're back to the load bearing wall, cut a 45 degree cut from that load bearing wall, you're gonna strike something eventually. And if you help, you don't, turn. Turn your body and make your, make your cut, and eventually you will hit something, and that's gonna be that will basically tell you where your rafter is. Once you hit something, roll that, run back about another six to eight inches, complete a triangular cut, pop out that little uh, triangle that you basically created, and then I'll tell you those five items that you're looking for. Perfect. Uh, di different guys teach different different techniques for that, but that's per our books. That's going to give you the most amount of information in a very short period of time. You want to do that somewhere in relation to 
your ground ladder or where your aerial is placed uh, somewhere along your path of travel or just outside your path of travel. That way you now know well in advance of the fire what you're dealing with and where you're working with because that's not something you really want to have that information known directly over the fire. Right. You don't want to find that out after you've already traveled that far, right. realize you brought the wrong saws, you didn't bring enough guys, the operation's going to take longer than you thought, it was totally different construction underneath you, and you've been traveling on something that you weren't expecting. Or if we take a, a change of direction, that yeah. oh, yeah. something, hey, let's, let's drop another 45 degree inspection right. cut and confirm, hey, we're still on the, we're still under yeah. the, the assumption rapids run in this direction, uh, main beams, trusses, are running that direction, and we're going to work. You know, if we're, we're making a hard right or hard left, let's drop in one of these inspection cuts and figure out. How long will you make your 45 degree cut before you give up and try a different spot or a different direction? So most rafters are spaced by, you know, on the average 16 to 24 inches, right? Right. So and if I'm running yeah. two, three, four feet, I'm like, oh, I haven't really hit anything yet. Stop. Let's turn. Make it make a hard right, and then run another cut. Right. But if it is, if you are going three feet, and then this goes to understanding the building, if it's if it's an engineered, a newer building, we could have spacing, correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, we could have spacing up to 48 inches on on an open web, lightweight roof. And so you, so again, it goes back to what you were saying earlier, as we're approaching the building, you kind of got to know the area, you know, what genre was the building built in, What's it look like? Are you suspicious of it being lightweight versus conventional? Because if I'm going to one of the old roofs in, in your city, immediately I'm thinking I'm going to be running into something that's convent it's conventional, and I'm going to get I'm going to get my saw into the material. I'm going to pull through and I'm going to bump into something. Whereas some of the larger buildings that I have in my area, which is newer areas, um, I, I'm expecting to pull through the material for a distance before I'm going to run into something. So, so if I may jump in right here. Um, the West Coast Offense actually had a really good post a while back, very articulate, but to kind of sum up some things and point guys that direction, um, one thing to consider when pulling long inspection cuts like that, if you're, if you're not feeling something within just a couple of feet, um, pick your saw back up out of the deck and move mm -hmm. a few feet in, in another direction Go to another and, and try. If you pull a long four-foot cut, and then roll your 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 rafter, your member, and then make your inspection cut. You now have that previous four feet that's detached and just loose and flapping. And so, depending on the construction, you might find a seam in the decking, uh, whether it's whether it's Q decking or uh, corrugated steel, plywood, OSB. But you've got a big flap out there that's a lot of unsupported deck. A diving board is what we call it. Uh, yeah, and and so you don't want to trust the rest of the roof to hold up that section right there that you just cut the end off of. So that's that's something I picked up from Colin was move after a couple of feet, move yeah. to another spot, and so, try again. So here's something that um, I'd like to get your guys' feedback. Um, in a lot of classes, I've, I start getting a lot of pictures from people where um, have very interesting, um, unique characteristics with um, mostly lightweight but pitched roofs, um, like say residential, uh, where um, the trusses are actually going in the opposite direction that you would be thinking. Um, also seeing lots of vaulted ceilings that have um, parallel cord trusses or using uh, wood eye joists or TJIs for the decking material. So a lot. Uh, we, there's been discussion in classes 
I know traditionally when we talk about roof operations and uh, flat roof operations or commercial, cutting an inspection cut is is something that's a given. It's, it's critical. It's, it's critical. It's critical. But um, when we move to the residential setting, a lot of times that's not. Um, so when we start getting into things like some of the new engineered stuff where the trusses are in the opposite direction or some of these other materials, um, do you think we'll get to a point or do you think that it may be a good idea to start dropping those inspection cuts on residential roofs? Absolutely. There's never, there's never a time where if you're confused um, or you're trying to gather more information, that's the best thing you can do is, is put the bar into the material and, and figure out what's kind of going on. And I, and I think probably the biggest part of the inspection cut on a flat roof is you're going to walk, sound your way out, of course, but you're going to be moving out into what some would say the no man's land. I mean, it's, it can be really risky getting out there. Whereas when you're on a pitch roof where you might have valleys and some strong, definitely you, you don't go very far and you're at a strong point. So you can easily be to a safe zone where you're working. But I mean, in my department, when I was on the ladder, we said, hey, if you're ever confused or you ever feel like you need to gain some more information. So on a pitch roof, if it was, man, this is not looking right. And yeah, I would, I would, back up a little bit and maybe let's figure this out before we really commit to so much. I'd go a little bit further um, and, and we teach this in the highwayman classes and this is um, something that I've figured out, uh, proven myself uh, stupid sometimes by not doing what, what we've been teaching for a while. Can you say that again? Say what you do? Uh, I've, I've done some <laughs> dumb stuff. So, so I've made a lot of mistakes. Every time that I don't drop an inspection cut in a peaked roof, it's ended up me finding something I wasn't expecting, right? And so if I would if I would have dropped one in all of those peak roofs, I would have known what I was walking into before I got to where I was making mm -hmm. my cut. But little things like uh, motels, extended stay motels, where normally these small buildings, you would expect the, the span's not very far from ridge to gutter line. You would expect the rafters to run from the ridge to the gutter line mm -hmm. and be, in, in our case, probably conventional construction. Uh, and the first time I ever had one, well, we went to cut, and I cut about a four-foot-long head cut and didn't feel anything. thought, well, maybe I just zipped through everything. So I started making my, my first cut down and uh, started rolling rafters. And it's because all of the rafters ran the short span between the walls. The walls went all the way to the roof line, and, and it didn't affect anything after that. It didn't, it didn't stop us from making our hole and, and getting the job done. But it threw me off, and sure. if it was a different building, it would throw me off even more, and maybe for longer. Um, but nowadays, with construction, with energy efficiency, and the things that they can do with houses, the things that people add to existing houses, uh, cold roofs, other materials, second roofs, roof overs, frame mm -hmm. roofs, whatever you want to call them, there's there's an increasing need to figure that roof out before you get to where you're going. I want to know low on the pitch that this is not the original roof, that there's a second one underneath there. And if I get all the way to the peak, uh, the second roof may be low enough where I'm never going to find it when I stick my hook in there. There's going to be enough smoke coming out that I'm not going to see a second roof four or more feet down below me. But I want to know that early on so that I can let the guys inside know, hey, this is why we're getting mismatched conditions. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've, I've found some weird stuff, so I'm a big advocate of dropping an inspection cut even on residential construction, even uh, 
you know, non-mansion site type stuff. Would you, because, um, well, I mean, we, we don't, but I've got, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think we have any weird things like this, so this would be new for us, for my area, but um, this would be like a perfect time for the old curve cut, you know, where the total hole or inspection cut, like what, what I envision when we, when we do our inspection cuts is, is that this would be great just to drop the bar in and bump up and like, okay, yeah, this is, this is exactly what I'm thinking, you know? Is that what you're, you're actually I'm saying. talking an actual, an actual inspection cut large enough to stick your arm into the shoulder so, so that you can, you can see all of those same things you want to know on, on a commercial roof. You want to know how thick is the roofing material? Did I bring the right saw? What is the roofing material? Uh, what's the decking composition? Is it plywood? Is it skip sheathing? Is it one by tongue and groove? All these things that are going to affect how long it's going to take and what saw you might need. And if you brought a K-12 because you're that kind of department, but you really needed a chainsaw because of depth, I want to know that low on the pitch, not when I get where I'm going. I want to know in if I'm in an area with heavy truss prevalence, that it, especially on hip roofs, you have no idea on a hip roof which direction those trusses are going to run because they're going to run those trusses across one of those directions and on two on each end of that hip uh, you're either going to be vertical or horizontal and then the other two are going to be the opposite so I'd like to know that before I get there so that I can figure out what am I traveling on what direction does it run uh, what's the spacing the span things like that and, and it also tells you if you have a two-piece truss and where those two pieces fit together well it definitely seems to be a, the wise move um, we often, I think all of us have operated under general assumptions. I, I expect this roof to be this based on this age and occupancy type. But, you know, with, with newer construction everywhere, intermixed with older construction, intermixed with conventional construction or retrofits or all these different things you're seeing with these buildings these days, you really just don't know. So the wise, right. the wise move would be to, to drop an inspection cut in, yeah. figure out what I'm working with, and then make a game plan and attack from there. Work, operate from a place that you know is safe, load-bearing walls, um, hips and valleys, places that you know are, are solid solid construction. And then once you figure out what I'm working with, let's go from there. But just to kind of blindly stomp yourself out in the middle of nowhere um, without really truly knowing what you're walking in, it, it, it almost seems like a recipe for disaster based on what you're seeing out in the streets these days with all the new, it just you just don't really know. Right, and even even in a territory where you, you have Every, you know what everything is made of. You don't know what people have done to their existing no. properties. You may know what it was originally made of, but you don't know what they've added, what they've done. In my area, in Georgia, uh, people aren't doing full roof tear-offs. They're going to do sections of tear-off. Mm -hmm. If they have rotten areas, they're only going to tear off those spots and re-roof those areas. They're not going to do a full re-roof so you could have two or three different kinds of roof across the whole thing, or just a second roof slapped right on top right. of the old one. So you might have three inches of roof to have to cut through. We used to see a lot of wood shake shingles, and you're supposed to tear those off, throw plywood down, right. due to earthquake retrofits for shear strength. Yeah. But that doesn't always happen. Now we'll roof right directly over top yeah. of the wood oh, shake. Yeah. And so yeah. underneath, what's underneath wood shake? Rotted out wood, skip sheathing. Yeah, yeah. So, you, so you got one by one by material with gaps between it for airflow, but that that effect, that's a different. Uh, I'm fully a different operation 
but certainly the removal of skip sheathing is very different than the removal of material from other decking types. Yes. Straight sheathing versus uh, space sheathing. I mean, you're still going to essentially make a head cut. You would dice that up, right? And uh, skim a bottom cut, right? You, know, you so don't even need to technically. You don't have that. to make a bottom cut on straight or skip. Yeah, Shay hook and read that right yeah. out. You're you're hooking and hooking and hooking. Yeah, depending on you know layers. Most guys will throw at least a, a skim, just or a score, just to get through that comp layer, make mm -hmm. it a little easier. And then once you pull that out, dice it up and J hook the uh, you know J hook all about it. So by dice, Neil means the vertical cuts in between. The structural members just so that everybody's on the same terms all right well why don't we talk um what's in your area where you're assigned uh what's typical residential roof i mean obviously what, um, what would you normally see and and let's let's talk about the uh the operation itself what's the equipment maybe talk, tell us a little bit about the saw that you use and and so how is it laid out what we're where i'm currently assigned right now is in downtown downtown where um, you're going to see a tremendous amount of conventional construction. Uh, you can put, you can find uh, Victorian buildings, you can find flat roofs, you can find multi-story center halls, you can find a little bit of everything, uh, craftsmen's, bungalows. Uh, so things are typically the turn of the century type builds, pre, I'd say basically anything built prior to 1960. All right, let's go to the craftsman. Let's do a, okay. let's go an operation on the craftsman because I think everybody for the most part, could say that they can they can associate you know having that in their area. Mm -hmm. what, and just I know that there's all different levels of experience. Do we want to describe a craftsman? Just kind of paint a visual. Yeah, like, you, yeah, you're, the res, you're the resident expert. Well, in the it, and craftsman. I, I'm a Canadian. I don't know what you guys uh, what what oh, you're don't rephrase it. Craftsman A. Craftsman A. Okay. But, you know, just paint a picture for that. Just so, so the, the way, way I would describe a craftsman, um, lots of very steep pitch roofs, uh, raised foundations, uh, a lot of wood siding, shiplap type siding. Uh, they have very, very stink type characteristics. I mean, the operation for that is, I mean, obviously ground liner is going to go up and aerial is going to go up. And I'd say 99% of the time you're going to be working off a roof ladder because it's such a steep pitch and there's, there's not much you can really do it's not a walkable pitch by any stretch, so you have to operate off a roof ladder. For a lot of half stories. It could be anywhere from you know one story, two stories, three stories. Right. By half story, I mean it's an incomplete floor on the second. Like yes, so you yeah. have you have living space above, but it's not doesn't cover the full width of the house. Good. It could be yeah. it could be two stories. You could have attic space, been, attic space that's been converted. Right. I mean, there's there's a number of different things. Yeah. yeah so that's that's just going to be a basic. You know, roof ladder operation. It's going to take take a long amount of time to get open. Um, knee walls. Uh, yes and no. Yeah. Depending on what you get. Uh, so from the roof, yeah, you're going to be working off a roof ladder for that. Uh, and again, that's going to, that's going to take a lot of time. So just with that, is go there? Oh, I, want, I want to, no. I was just going to say I want to go back to defining the craftsman from your perspective, and not without the Canadian joke, eh? But it was what what is a craftsman? Well, a craftsman's just a. Uh, style a house from a certain era, depending, and it varies, varies pretty drastically. Okay. But I think Neil summed it up pretty good with yeah, just just with simple that. simple things I, I would look at. Okay, that's you know, they they could be any uh, couple couple you know, thousands couple thousand square feet, um, and again they're multi storied and they're 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 old, especially in the district that I'm in now. They are they're pretty run down for the most part. The majority of them are vacants. Mm -hmm. um, so we do see a lot of those. 
Uh, they're, they're almost always full with squatters. And uh, like I said, it's it's going to be a basic roof operation working off roof ladders. Could, could Craftsman be balloon frame? Well, for me, Craftsman yeah. would be balloon frame in, in my definition or what I see. Um, just because I know everything, everything pre-1950 in my area is balloon frame. Once it's basically like on the dot, 1950 and above is platform frame. Okay. But that's going to change geographically yeah, big time. So not the case in my area. So And that's one of the things just to highlight is we can talk about, you know, we can talk about Washington, we can talk about California, we can talk about Georgia, we can talk about Canada, but it's the it's really important to to be able to look at things. And I've had people make fun of me for this, but my big thing is, I, uh, and I've started, um, when I teach, I started going to places and doing walking tours or going through different areas. The first thing I do is I go on realtor.com and I look at real estate websites. Because then I can look at, because um, when you go to a real estate website and a house is for sale, there's pictures of it so you can identify common characteristics with it. Every single real estate listing will have the year that it was built. So automatically you have the era and you have a visual look of the style of it. And then you go, a lot of times now, it's very, very common for uh, real estate agents to bring in somebody who does a floor plan. So now I've got a, an exterior look of the building, I have an age and I have a floor plan. So now if I look at five, six, seven, 20 different versions of the same year, automatically I have a, I have a, a com, or several common layouts that for me, I think search a lot. Um, so that's something that um, automatic, like kind of leads me down that path. But so if you're in your areas and you're trying to identify different, you know, like similarities between different styles, real estate websites are huge for that. Um, that's my go-to because um, you can get so much valuable information uh, from that. So, uh, so when we say things like um, whatever style, like you say Cape Cod, well, Cape Cod can, although you know there's certain characteristics like the dormers on the top or things that are kind of common with that style, there are differences. A Cape Cod style in, in on the west coast is not the same i was in virginia last month and there's differences with those so it's important to to look at you know the geographical differences of stuff you so just got tool packages yeah let's talk about the tool package mm -hmm. i'm just curious about the saw what you know what yeah. you guys use for chain standard holes. steel 460s uh 20 inch bar uh carbide tip blade uh, you have to come up with a roof kit which is two rubbish hooks uh, married together Every guy carries a pickhead axe. That's going to be on your hip. Uh, depending on the length of the, uh, the roof, you're going to go with either a 20, a 16 um, roof ladder, married off of a 35-foot ground ladder, or off an arrow if that's what's needed. Uh, if we're going to shoot that to a hip, or uh, sorry, a valley. And then, um, yeah, most guys, most AOs will get to the, to the top. Uh, top member below him will set a foothold, using, usually using his axe. That's what that's what most AOs can prefer, uh, or whatever you know their specific AO prefers. Head cut, side cuts, bottom cut, and then pull that material, and then bring the foothold further down and work your way down the ladder. Would you guys louver that, or pull that, or open that, and then extend? Or you so my experience, most guys will go ahead and just pull that material out. Pull it. We want to well, explain wanna, why that is. You just want to maximize your hole. Yeah. We don't want material getting into the interior, hitting in the engine crew. We want all the material out of the way. Um, if it is like a, indeed an attic fire, we might just louver that, that way we can close that. 
we'll wait for confirmation from the engine company that they're actually horizontal and actually getting water on the fire. And then we'll cut a hole and we can probably just leave it until they're ready and we'll pop it out or lure it and then bring it out or uh, pop it back into place. But yeah, most, most folks want that material pulled out of the way. Yeah, another, another big reason to pull your work is so that it doesn't, it, it, like by the time you loosen that by louvering it, you might have just loosened the last couple of nails that were actually holding it into whatever the structural member is. Because when they came through nailing it, depending on the age of the building and how the framers did it, uh, they might have been using nail guns. And there's a lot of misses if you ever look at the underside of your roof. They're pretty quick, but they're not going back to to hit nails per foot by code if they miss a couple. So if you go to louver that, especially on lightweight stuff, uh, you might be ripping the last couple of nails out and then that sheet drops in the hole and where's it gonna land? It's gonna go right inside of the engine company. I don't care about those dorks. We're really more <laughs> concerned about it blocking our ability to do our job if it lands across the ceiling joists. Okay, so if it lands across two ceiling joists, now, you're getting heavy smoke if you're cutting the right spot or if it's static fire. And if you have to punch the lid, you've got to fish that little fella off of there. Uh, and I don't want to be doing that if it's, you know, 14 feet below me in the dark with smoke blowing out. So hook your work and pull it out. That's how I was taught. That's, uh, that's how you were taught. Because we, we were taught by some of the same, same people. Same people, yeah. Um, so I just want to go back a little bit. So when you were talking about, we were kind of talking about the craftsman, and you were talking about, you mentioned um, steep pitch, and you talked about it taking more time. So is that something that you guys communicate with the engine, or is that something that you assume that the engine's going to realize based on size up, that um, based on the pitch and the type that it may take you guys a little bit longer to do your work? Is that something that you're thinking about or and, and relaying that information or is that something that you're assuming that the, the engine think, company is gonna is gonna identify? I think it just depends on what's what they see on the interior. The general assumption is if, if it looks steep from the ground, it's steep. And we just know it's gonna take longer. But our engine's looking at that particular thing. Probably is, not. Okay. Yeah, so that's really the question is I know the, I certainly wouldn't be looking at it if I'm on the engine. Do do so why don't engine companies have the same building construction culture that trucks do? It affects it affects them oh, no doubt. to to a really large degree. Oh uh, yeah, you're waiting for relief inside. It maybe in different ways, but I mean if you think about it, building construction affects how they're gonna approach everything to their job, whether mm -hmm. it's layout, how the fires affect the building, how they're gonna get where they're going. Uh, See, primarily what, what my thought process is as an engine, if I'm riding nozzle, if I'm riding hydrant, what my thought process would be based on building construction is just what am I stepping myself into? Mm -hmm. Am I on a raised foundation? Is there a basement? Is there is there a crawl space beneath me? Do I need to sound that floor? Yeah. That's, that's my biggest concern. So engine companies just aren't aren't looking up it's just, at all. Well, they, they should be. Yeah. They I'm should sure. be. They should stay low and see what kind of you know, what kind of conditions are obviously above them. And then as we're pulling ceiling, pulling decking above us, what what's above us, what's behind us, you know, what's not getting behind us. Uh, yeah, absolutely, you should be thinking about building construction because that's, especially in, in these older type buildings, that could be vacant, um, and depending on the age of them, what kind of condition are they in? Are, are these gonna be a danger to me if I'm not setting myself up for success by getting my sound in the floor ahead of me? Um, and then also, what, what kind of, you know, as, as I'm pulling 
floating ceiling. What am I dealing with? Is this, is this lath and plaster? Is this sheetrock? Sheetrock will come, come apart quickly and easily. Lath and plaster is going to kick your ass. And it's got a lot of places for that to hide, you know, a lot of places for fire to hide. So you have to kind of know what, what kind of building construction you're dealing with in there as we're checking for extension, as we're doing overall, you know, where do I need to cut in relation to a stud? Where, am, I, am I cutting down the center of the base? Am I wasting time? You know, just you know, pulling lap down the center, not getting anywhere, or should I be cutting down the center of the stud, or uh, the joist above my head? Should I be pulling closer to the studs so that way I can maximize my space mm-hmm. or maximize the bay that I'm opening up with my tools? And if I don't understand how these things are constructed through general building construction knowledge, then yeah, you're, you're just ex- you're exhausting yourself and you're doing more work than necessary. Yep, love it. Well, I, w- I would hope that the engine is looking at. Maybe not to the same degree that we are, since we're the ones that are going to go above. But uh, I would think that if you're looking at stretching, you know you need to stretch to the second floor. You have to look at the building. You have to get an idea of what the building, what the layout is going to be. Where's the stairs? I mean, you need to know where the stairs are going to be. So, I, I mean, I really hope that the engine crews are, are thinking that. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just... And the reason why I asked that question is um, I teach classes with a guy named Barry Frankie, who was last night did one of the storytelling sessions here at Firemanship. And that's something that he always talks about in our classes is when it, when you get into those situations where it's a steep pitch and he worked most of his time truck three with um, San Jose. And he said that if it was a, a steep pitch or something, that was something that he was relaying to the engine companies that it's, it's going to be, a delayed operation or it's going to yeah. take more time so yeah. well let's then let's um that's kind of basic so let's talk about some commercial stuff and and um so let's let's do well let's do let's do lightweight okay does that change when you guys approach uh ao is gonna ao is gonna position the apparatus for whatever is around them, but it's going to is position it, apparatus for the aerial to go to the roof for you guys. Is there a spot for corners? Ground ladders will go up. We'll spot to, and again, it, there's a couple different schools of thought. Some guys support the aerial. Some guys support the operation with their ground ladder. Okay. Um, I was always taught to support the operation, and as we were talking about earlier today with, with Colin, where where you put your ground ladder is going to dictate. Um, greatly where our means of egress are. Mm-hmm. So your ground ladders are important uh, to support the operation. And then again, the same thing, when you come up the aerial, you're going to you're going to sound appropriately, give us a good safe spot to be able to get off the aerial, and then start dropping indicator holes in, and then stick to the load bearing walls. Uh, a lot of these more lighter weight buildings, uh, tillerman will drop off, check the backside of the facade, make sure there's, nothing, there's no fire you know, rolling in that facade. Mm-hmm. Because engine companies are operating underneath that facade, we want to make sure that's not going to drop off on them. You mean like crickets behind parapets and stuff like that? Crickets, but basically, you know, a lot of such things. Like when I think most guys say lightweight roofs, I think of the strip malls. Yeah, strip malls have a tremendous amount of lightweight roofs, and they have you know, marquees, facades, right, so mansards, things yeah, like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And fire can get in behind those and can run that entire length of that building, and who knows what the hell's going on, you know above you as you know as a nozzleman dropping your nozzle there at the front door yeah. but also we want to make sure that that's not you know we're not passing up fire on the roof and you're obviously going to drop your inspection cuts you're going to get as close to the unit as you can through sounding uh, most guys will go ahead and drop a head cut if they're pulling fire out of those holes uh, obviously we want to back off from that that's a lightweight operation you do not want to be directly over the fire um, some guys will hang it out a little bit further. 
Uh, it's not a huge, huge, um, I'm not a huge advocate of that. I, I don't think most guys I've ever worked with are advocates of that, but we want to be aggressive because that's where the fire is and we want to get you know, relief from the engine companies. But most of the guys will back away from that hole. If, they, if, they're, if they're paying red lines, you, out of the holes, back yeah. off. You trade distance for, for time. work time. Yeah, correct. Yep. But you also, I mean, again, conversely, you'd want to think of you know, who's, what's the, amount, the, the greatest amount of relief on the beginning, guys. You yeah. know, that's, so you want to operate as close as you can without mm -hmm. being directly over the fire. Right. And then you got to communicate. If, uh, if you're having to work a little more remotely from seat of the fire, the engine, <clears throat> excuse me, the engine or anybody working inside, has to know that you could be pulling fire over them, and mm -hmm. so it has to be coordinated. Uh, they need, they may need to get into the attic more remotely from the fire as well. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be pulling it through the attic over their head, uh, you don't want to pull it behind them without them knowing that that's what you're doing. Well, yeah, I, was, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of things going on. Before splinter in the, in the units below, we need to check the exposures to the left and the right. Uh, we want to get up into those attic spaces. We want to, if it's, you know, has a drop ceiling, which most of them have some kind of drop ceiling system, start blowing tiles apart and seeing where's that fire running. Yep. Is, it, is it running into adjacent units? Do we need to now get a backup line into, you know, the, the next unit over or the next unit over from that? So, okay. And then depending on what you get, I mean, you can have any number. So there's, there's the acronym we use is WAMP. For WAMP. Wooden I-beam, open web, uh, open web metal bar, Panelized metal gusset plates. I mean, there's, there's, you're really not exactly 100% certain what kind of truss system you're going to be working on with a lightweight roof. Uh, there's general assumptions. A lot of the larger tech Costco's, uh, Home Depot's. You can almost generally assume that's going to be a panelized roof because they are, they're huge. And uh, most strip malls can be any number of those. They could be a wooden I beam, open web, metal bar, open web bar joist, metal gusset plates. You really don't know until you drop an inspection kind of figure out what you're working with there. Yeah. Is it a two two saw operation for you guys? Then? Uh, primarily, right off the bat, most likely no. It's okay. just going to be a one saw operation. A will make his head cut, a couple side cuts, bottom cut. We'll pull what that is, and then extend from there. A will pull some work, right? Uh, Typically, he's going to no. We'll pull, we'll pull his work for him. The top okay. tiller will pull for him. Okay. Typically, it'd be just the top member. Uh, if the tillerman's doing uh, addressing the facade. Okay. And then once the tillman comes back, we'll start pulling on deck for him. Gotcha. And then we'll extend from there. When when's uh when's two trucks go to the roof? Is it? Uh, it well, it just depends on the size of the uh, of the strip mall. Most of the time, you're probably going to get two trucks. Uh, one truck will come from one direction. One truck will come from the other direction. And uh, they'd marry up, make a face to face. They open up over here, open up over there, or hey, I need I need assistance with turning this to a strip now. You take one half, I'll take the other half. We'll go from one. We'll take from the center to, you know, we'll say the Charlie side, uh, low bearing wall, and you got from the middle to the alpha. Is it, again, is it against your guys' operations to do, to begin the strip before the final initial cuts are done? Or can, do you guys no, find? You, you have to drop a, you have to drop a heat hole in before you start a strip. But can you do heat holes at the same time that you're starting your strip? Or do you guys say, nah, 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 Because that kind of gets a little hairy. I know like I'm, where I'm from, we would not want to start cutting holes on the egress path of, of the... In my experience, no, we'll start with just a heat hole, make extend that as big as we can, and see what we got from there. If it looks like they're losing it, and they need to cut it off and they get to turn... That's when the second truck's coming up, you guys work together. To get Correct. Gotcha. And then we'll basically pinch it off. One, one will take one side of the unit, and one truck will take the other side of the unit. All right. How about, how, let's talk about... You, know, you guys got any more you want to talk about? I think we kind of skipped over. We talked about... Um, 
little bit about residential stuff, but what is what is your typical residential operation look like? What's how many people? What is it? What is each member doing? So our, cut our sequence, yeah, things our like that. typical, like we'll just go with a basic single family, uh, one story single family dwelling. Okay. You're going to get three engines and you're going to get a truck company. Okay. Uh, truck will address the roof immediately. Uh, engine company, first engine company will go ahead and take fire attack. Second engine company takes backup fire attack, and then our third engine is, is basically a pump. They're going to mirror it up to the hydrant and basically duplicate the supply to the frontline engine. Uh, so what's two, the, what's two the ground ladders will go up. Okay. And then we'll go ahead and uh, it, at that point, AO and the top member will go to the roof and they'll go ahead and start their attack as close to the fire as possible. Uh, the areas I've worked in the past, primarily conventional constructed uh, gable pitch roofs. So you can work all day or drop over that. Uh, Tillerman will go ahead and address the utilities and then as necessary, he's needed to join up on the roof. He will. If not, they'll start doing outside truck work, perhaps inside truck work, whatever, whatever needs to get addressed tactically. Uh, the cut sequence is, is basic. Head cut, uh, the, get, the, get, the AOs I've worked with always started from the left side of their cut and worked the way to the right. A couple of dices, bottom cut, um, expecting a, uh, a roof over of some sort. So um, again, plywood over space sheeting or straight sheeting. And why, why do they start from left to right? Uh, just the least amount of cuts, or so you don't have to, you don't have to change your hands. Right, it's, it's how the saw naturally ends up in a right-handed saw. Yep, that's the way you hold it. Yeah, most most guys want do, do not want to. It's one that you want to open up a quick hole yep. and give relief to the fire below, and more importantly, yep. relief to the engine company, relief so, to people who are inside trapped. Would you say it's typically a roll to louver? Or yeah, it just depends how much space you have, but yeah, most guys will roll, will basically do a double center rafter. Okay. That's, that's going to be the basic operation. It's quick, it's fast, it opens up a large enough hole to start giving some relief, right. and then they can extend from whatever direction yeah. they want. And it doesn't outrun the hook. It does not. Where if you were to keep rolling and rolling and rolling, the saw can actually outrun the hook's ability, especially in, like you were talking about built up roofs where you've got multiple layers of, of roofing and older roofs, uh, skip sheeting, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the saw can easily outrun the hook in some cases with the kind of salt and change you got to use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's just a basic quick cut sequence. That uh, most I think most AOs in the city will will run with that basic operation. Very quick, no hands, no changing of hands, and a very very fast operation. And they can extend with construction against construction, however they see fit. Awesome. You want to uh, you want to talk a little bit more? Uh, Operations, do you guys want to kind of wrap this up for the night? Or see a lot of blue guys here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm tired, but I want to make sure we're in a spot where we can actually let's. I mean, let's let's talk about uh arch roof then, commercial arch yeah. roof, and because that's that is that mm-hmm. is something you guys go. do, yes. you guys do really really well. And yeah, so the the basic again, and I know Any, guys, anyone from the east coast, feel, feel free to plug your ears. So, so guys, <laughs> trigger warning. <laughs> No, this, these these are strong roofs. These yeah. are these are all basically built prior to 1960. Well, let's uh, clarify what we're talking about first. We're so, talking about predominantly timber arched trusses, mm-hmm. correct? So again, it, it could they could be any number of things. I, I don't know that from the ground. All I see is an arch truss. Um, I can determine right off the bat whether it's a lamella or it's a uh, an actual arch truss mm-hmm. based on the fact uh, uh, the presence of jack rafters or not. Mm-hmm. 
that the length of jack rafter from the load bearing wall to the first truss should basically give me roughly my spacing. So the length is about 20 feet. Each truss should be approximately 20 feet. Most AOs will again throw an aerial to the corners because of the strong points. Ground ladder will go up and will typically take the first truss up all the way up to the center and then sound our way down the center mm -hmm. and start dropping smoke indicators as we go. Because now that will at least know the highest point of the building, uh, that's where the smoke and hot gas are going to start pooling. Mm -hmm. And we know what's directly ahead of us. And no, obviously we're not leaving the fire behind. Yeah. And then you're going to get as close to the fire as you can to get strong, strong, strong roofs. You're going to get on top of one of those trusses and cut to the fire side. And basic same cut sequence. Head cut, side cuts, bottom cuts, start pulling, and then we can extend that either left or right. And then if we need to turn that into a strip, we can drop back and, and cut from, you know, yeah. on the opposite side, or we can drop back another truss and, and start working from there. So what uh, what about the construction and what about your operations makes that safe? I mean, the, really, it, it, you know, getting down to that word safety, uh, what, what makes that safe for you guys? What makes it an operation that's so successful uh, with so few uh, failures? Uh, I mean, we don't have any major line of duty deaths from arch roof failures in LA. Not that I've heard. Um, it just comes down to one, knowing your building construction. Yeah. You know these buildings are built with heavy, heavy timber construction, heavy, heavy wood, and we sound them as aggressively as we possibly can and if it's if it's soft and spongy and it's, it's not safe we will back off if it's if it's sound we're gonna work and we're gonna work as close to the fire as we can because we know this is a sturdy strong roof I mean these yeah. are I mean once you see these things burned down the majority of the time all that's left are the trusses yeah the decking is burnt away everything else is collapsed in but the trusses are still standing yeah. so if you're working on top of those trusses that, that's uh, that's indicated right there. Those, those are the strongest points of the building. They're, they're not you're not going to fall through, and that's a very very rare occasion. Um, that video they played earlier, uh, that's that that was a bizarre case. That actually was was something that was, was an anomaly. Yeah, and it, and it looked like it probably was decking failure failure close to a bearing wall, mm -hmm. uh, probably where where water collected things could probably potentially so. rot, rotted out, yeah. things like that. Yeah, um, and where fire had been attacking it for. For a while, a while. there was, there was yeah. heavy, heavy fire blowing out of the front. So let's not confuse things like a lot of people uh, mistake building failures uh, when they're really operational failures. Correct. Failures to sound, failures to size up, failures to cut inspection cuts, smoke curves, uh, diagnostics. Plus, like you're that. also your angle of approach too. I mean, we yeah. we don't start in the in the involved area. We start from uninvolved to involved. Right. So you're going to work from a place of safety where you know is safe work our way towards the involved area and if it's not safe we back off I mean, this isn't this isn't a suicide mission you're, you're going to work as close as you can but if your hooks are going through back yourself off to a place of safety and work effectively from there you mentioned how robust these are to give uh to give you guys an example um that are listening uh we went to a, a social this week here in portland at a firemanship conference that was underneath it was in a building that was uh underneath a timber arch truss that timber arch truss was made of what I think are three by twelves, rough mm -hmm. cut three by twelves bolted together, two and three thick, to make these truss members that then have uh, 
two by twelves as the rafters between them, sixteen on center, sixteen feet long. That's and then plank decking over that one by six decking on top of that. That's not light. No. That's that's incredibly robust. If I was ever going to design a wood roof to hold up to fire, it looks something like that. Very much so. But that's just it. The buildings aren't designed to days though. But, but it's a, it's a byproduct. The, the, they're not designed to be robust against fire. They're designed to be robust in general. Yeah. The side effect is that they've used a heck of a lot of wood to put them together to make them strong in general. And so guess what? Because of that amount of mass and and size, they are robust in fire. And that's what that's what allows uh, departments on the West Coast uh, to be so successful on these roofs. Um, where departments on the East Coast, again, are looking at failures as building failures when they were operational failures, and they're making that mistake and, and not learning from the West Coast, and that's fine. And there's certain things that come into play, too. When you look at East Coast, West Coast, you could also look at buildings that are nearly 100 years. Age is a big factor, yeah. Factor. And the interesting thing, and I know we've talked about it when, in prior Roof Per podcasts where we're looking at um, we look at these big, and we'll use the example of the arch roofs, um, the engineering principles weren't there that they have today. If they were to build the exact same roof today, um, they have way better ways of, of just using engineering to, to know that a lot of times those are overbuilt mm-hmm. for what they need to carry. So, And that overbuilt um, characteristics of it is what gives inherent fire protection and... Um, so that's kind of that's just the change when we talk about the difference between conventional or old construction and lightweight. Um, that's that's one of the biggest factors is designing buildings to carry the load that they need to carry versus buildings that have much more fire protection because they were overbuilt for what they needed to carry. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, this this all comes down to knowing the buildings in your district, getting out, and walking your district walking your roofs, throwing ladders up to your buildings, and getting curious of what you got in your first ends. You mean perfect? <laughs> exactly. I mean, if, if, but if you, don't, if you don't do that on a, you know, at least, you know, we have, a, we have a segment, we work three shifts. You know, we typically go out and drill on the weekends, but what's, what's wrong with drilling any time during the week? I mean, where I'm, where I'm assigned now, it's the first place I've ever been where we're actually out doing full task force operations in buildings, you know, on a Monday. I mean, it's, it's impressive, and we the way we look at it, these are the buildings we're going to be operating in. Yeah. These are the buildings we're going to be potentially going to for fires. So you, you better know if that arrow is going to reach. You better know how to drop back quickly out of those fire escapes. You better know, you know, how far we have to estimate that stretch to get to that, that unit. That's that's all something you cannot replicate on a chalkboard. You can't replicate that in a parking lot. You have to utilize the buildings that are in your first end. And, and operate, you know, like the 55 fire guys were saying, you have to operate at a fire ground tempo. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's important. If you're getting gas and if you're not, if you're not up to the task, then all right, maybe it's time to transfer to a spot where you're not going to be doing that all the time. You'll still be going to go on drilling, but not this kind of pace. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something to be said for training pace as well. No doubt. Yeah. No and, doubt. Because, and, I mean, again, people are, you know, what, what are we ultimately here to do? Yeah. It should be the goal. If you're, if you're on a truck, it should be the goal to get on a roof every single shift. Yeah. And just it, get curious. Get even curious if it's the same got. roof a couple shifts in a row, 
but get get on a roof every shift. Just be used to getting on roofs. Make it a regular habit. Get on different roofs, the same roof. Um, but there's it's kind of like engines should be stretching hose. Trucks should be getting on roofs. Well, that's the thing about having lots of rookies in our department right now. We've had you know over the last five years, you're getting rookies almost every six months. There's someone new coming to the house. So we're out constantly, constantly, constantly drilling with these guys, showing them panelizers, showing them arch trusses, showing them bridge trusses, showing them flats, showing them, you know, conventional, um, or, I'm sorry, gables. We're, we're walking them through all these different buildings. We're getting up on tops of roofs all the time with these guys and showing them and teaching them and, and knowing what their, their book knowledge they learned in the drill tower. And now let's show you some practical application from that. Can you, one, do you know what we're standing on? You know, what are, what are the strengths of this building? And now we'll go through our operation. Because again, you know, as Mark was saying today, it's the AO and it's and it's a rookie. And day one, you could go to, I mean, that that fire they talked about with the, the AO that fell through in the 26th person, that was my classmate's first day as a rookie. And that was his AO that fell right through the roof. So you just don't know. You know, it could be the very first day on shift, could be the potentially worst day of your career. So you better be on top of these guys as quick as you possibly can and, and get them the knowledge they need to be successful. That, that's the incredible thing about what we've been doing the past few days here at Firemanship is, is like, you know, you leave here after this, this week just so stoked on the job and so yeah. fired up. Recharged. <clears throat> and recharged for sure. And the, the amazing thing for me is like, you know, we're sitting here in this room and we have Neil on with us who's a guy who's, you know, been on the job for a significant amount of time but still you know I see him at every single conference you know come in doing the work and and you know here I don't know how many people have been here for the the general sessions like seven eight hundred closer to a thousand I think is the estimate a lot so a lot of people just here digging awesome. digging in and 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 doing this stuff so um I don't know you guys want to wrap it up here yeah I think yeah. you know we can wrap it up and maybe uh We'll definitely be back next year to firemanship, and oh, no doubt. we need to. I think uh, in the future, firemanship podcast twenty twenty one is maybe talk about that floating floor, That's sprung sprung floor, sprung floor. Things fantastic the, of the uh, crystal ballroom. That's just like a panel. That's just a little. That's a little teaser for for next year. Mm-hmm. We can maybe get get into that and talk to that a little talk to talk about that a little bit more. But. Awesome. So, uh, for so I, obviously, if you guys are listening to this, you know who we are. But if you want to see more about the roof perv, uh, I, the biggest thing it was for our Facebook page. You can look it up at the roof perv. Um, you can look up any of us. We're all fairly involved with social media. Uh, if you've never been or um, or heard of it, look up the firemanship conference in Portland. It's every year at the end of February. Um, Unreal time. Um, just I can't. You can't even put it into words how incredible it is. Um, so definitely look it up. And uh, one thing that we always ask of, of people that check uh, check out the Roof Perv is send us stuff. Send us questions. Take pictures and send them to us. Uh, we always say we don't have all the answers, uh, but we're really plugged in with a network of people. Uh, I know for me, through all the building code work that I do, um, I have... You know, unlimited engineers and architects and stuff at my fingertips that I can reach out to. And I know the same for other guys. So if you have stuff, reach out to us and we're, we love, uh, we love looking, taking people's questions or taking people's, um, 
things that they're looking at and, and digging into it and trying to find solutions for it. So you got anything to close out on? Be smart. That's all I got to say. Thank you. We miss you, Stephen. We uh, miss you, Steve. Thanks for the opportunity, guys. Awesome. Thanks, thanks so much thank for being you. here, My Neil. Pleasure. And uh, awesome. Peace.